that we wanted something for ourselves and for our children. And so we took a chance with our lives. We marched up the steps with this circle of uh, soldiers with bayonets drawn. And uh, walking up the steps that day was probably uh, one of the biggest feelings I've ever had. I figured I'd finally cracked it. My freedom is very much entangled with the freedom of every other man. So I'm fighting for my own freedom here. Are you scared? Yes, I'm very much afraid. Everyone here is. In a 10-year period, in the 1950s and 1960s, America fought a second revolution. It was fought in the South by black people and white. It was fought in the streets, in churches, in courts, in schools. It was fought to make America be America for all its citizens. These were America's civil rights years. David Fair, finally, hey, how are you? I am doing very, very well. Good to see you. Thank you so much. That's such short notice and so on. You, you, I extended the invitation and you were, you obliged me. So I am so happy that you were able to join in for the podcast interview today. Or for the, no problem. I, 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 I have two, two, two big dogs in my from time to time. I just want to apologize in advance for that. Oh, and that's fine. But um, we're so happy to have you. And I see that... Um, but let me begin officially before... Actually, I see that we went to the same school. We, went, we both went to University of Pennsylvania. Yeah, and, a little, um, bit, little bit different periods, though. Yes, yes. <laughs> I just, like I got, 40 years apart, I think. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. But And we both work but I have worked in child youth and family services. And of course, I see that you have you you have worked at the, at the highest level in child youth and family services in Pennsylvania. Yes, yes. 
So I have to ask you a question. Do you consider yourself a neoliberal or do you just study neoliberalism? I just study it. It's just a it's just a, I, I study strategy. I, I wrote a book on neoliberalism, globalization, um, income inequality, poverty, and resistance, looking so at this. Yeah, so it's more looking at strategy. And when people ask me about that, it gives me a great opportunity to talk about the dynamics of the global north and the global south, how income inequality and how poverty was created through social adjustment policies and, you know, how those policies affect people of the global okay. south and the diaspora. Yes, so it's just a strategy. Okay. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. Uh, so neoliberalism is not one of my, neoliberalism is not one of my favorite uh, approaches to social issues, but uh... <laughs> Yeah, but that was part of my thesis at Penn. And, um, but now I'm looking at power, position and status and how it create how power uses strategies that poses problems for progress you know that's wow. that's what that and i'm all these all these all these minor issues you try to deal with i don't understand. yes <laughs> <laughs> yes but we're so i'm so happy to have you man and um i i follow you just so you know i, I read your stuff so i saw that you got you were interviewed um, by um, H by HBO yesterday, but um, let me begin uh, officially. My welcome to the Neoliberal Round Podcast, everyone. I am Ronaldo McKenzie, and today we have with us Mr. David Fair, who recently said on LinkedIn in a posting, um, in a posting on LinkedIn, I'm humbled to have been interviewed by by a TV crew from HBO for the third series of Eyes on the Prize. The award-winning documentary series telling the stories of the civil rights movement in the U.S. The first two series were broadcasted in the 80s and covered up to 1985. And the new series will be broadcasted next year. And um, you said they will pick up from there. So now, but before I, I ask you about um, the new series, um, which is to come, which um, which you probably have, you may have probably seen it already. I'm not sure, but they're working on it, I presume. Yeah. But um, before I ask you, I would, I was, let me say, welcome to the show, and I will, we, we, I would love to learn a little bit about you. Welcome. Thank you. It's an honor. It's an honor to be with you. What Thank would you, you like to know? Well, a um, little bit about um, your involvement in the film, because I, you know, when I at first I thought you were a producer. But then, um, so I wasn't sure. So no. the first question I wanted to ask you is your involvement in the film and and how you how are you involved in the film? How are you involved? Well, well, they're picking what what the what HBO is doing with this new series is picking up where the previous series of Eyes and the Prize left off, which was 1985, and okay. around that time in the in the mid 1980s was when the controversies around the AIDS epidemic were at their height. And in Philadelphia, unlike in other big cities like New York and San Francisco or even Miami, um, from the very beginning of the epidemic, the number of pe the, the, the people who were getting, well, at that time, we, we didn't know what to call it, but what we would now call HIV disease were there was, they were mostly gay white men, but there was a large number, a much higher percentage of people of color, especially African-American yeah. people, who were being diagnosed with this disease in Philadelphia. And that led to a lot of controversy because 
in, in, mid, in the mid-1980s, pretty much the only, Reagan was president, and he didn't give a damn about AIDS. And yeah. so the only work that was really being done to help people with AIDS and to prevent the spread of AIDS was being done in the gay white community, which uh, had the resources to be able to do that. Yes. In Philadelphia, those of us who were involved, and at that time I was working for a predominantly black union called the Hospital Workers Union in Philadelphia. And the that and so we were our members of the union, yeah. a lot of whom were gay people, um, were having resistance, were getting were putting up resistance to caring for people with AIDS because they didn't know whether they could catch the disease by emptying yes. their trash can or transporting them to an operating room or whatever. And so early on, where I was sitting, I was one of the few white leaders of that union. Um, I learned, um, being a gay white man myself, I knew a lot about AIDS, but I learned that there was a whole dynamic around how AIDS was playing out in the African-American and Latino communities that the gay white community was ignorant of, and not only uh, ignorant of, but really resistant to understanding because of the fear that if we extended the, if we, if we started talking about the AIDS crisis, crisis as affecting more than gay white men, then there would be fewer resources for gay people and more resources yeah for the non-gay people who were not, not white. And the, uh, even though most of the AIDS cases then and now in the black community are still among gay, gay people. Um, yeah. Anyway, the, the, there were major controversies around that at the time. And um, I was one of the loudest voices complaining about the racism basically of the white gay community and how it addressed AIDS which I felt was my job because I was white. It's not, it's, yes. I've never believed that it's up to black people to solve the problem of racism. It's up to white people to solve the problem of racism. Yeah. It's our problem. And um, that attracted a lot of attention. I got a lot of media attention. And somehow or another came to the attention of the HBO producer, producers of this um, new series um, who wanted to talk to me about what it was like at that time and to help them connect to people of color, especially who were involved in that advocacy in the mid 1980s and late 1980s. So that's how it all developed that we got involved in this new, new video. Right. And I think, um, but you also, I think um, if I were to read you correctly, you also you said that um, you said that, the first installment of the series includes a segment on the struggle to combat AIDS and in the black community and the resistance of the AIDS bureaucracy to the empowerment of people of color in the AIDS movement. And so this is, that was quite interesting. So as I, if I, and of course we're gonna, Eyes on the Prize for people who are not aware of Eyes on the Prize, the whole, the film or the series or the production, um, I wanted the first, so I think you said the first two looks at the civil rights and segregation, civil rights yes. and segregation. Yes. And that's what's the time period for that one. Right. And that went from the 19th century all the way up to 1985. Um, uh, Eyes on the Prize was mostly focused, 
there were two series. There were two years, two seasons of Eyes on the Prize back in the late 80s. And the first series covered up till 1965 when the Civil Rights Act was passed by Congress. Okay. Um, the second series went from 1965 to 1985 and talked a lot more about the Black Power Movement, um, about the, the um, race riots that were happening, especially in the late 1960s. Um, and they also talked about the fact that the civil rights movement became less, both less popular as well as less effective after the 1960s and early uh. 1970s. Um, because the power structure basically learned learned that it could find it could continue to hide. In my opinion, this is just my opinion. It, right. it could continue to cloak racist, racist activities and racist business practices and racist real estate practices and all that kind of stuff. You know, they could they could put it in a different context. Whereas in the previous iteration of this stuff in the 60s and 50s, um, it was easy to make the distinction between uh, fairness and not un unfairness. By the yes. 1970s, a conscious effort was being made by white politicians to yes. feed into the grievance of white people who felt like black people were getting all of the benefits of mm. government. And, and didn't have to work for them. I mean, it was a classic racist kind of attitude. Um, and that's what, that's what the second series of Eyes in the Prize focused on. Um, I don't know exactly how they're handling the new series. All I know about is the sec segment that they were filming in Philadelphia right. um, okay. over the last few days. But um, I, I imagine that it's not gonna cover from 1985 Right. George Floyd, it'll probably yes. cover from 1985 to maybe the early 2000s because they, right. they only have six episodes, I think, and they have to get a lot in. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And um, it's quite interesting that, you know, one of the things that you just said, which um, I wanted to pick you back on, go back to, was, you know, which is very important the issue of racism of the white gay community as it relates to how that affected. It, um, HIV, AIDS, and, and care in African towards African Americans, and you know when we think when we think about discrimination and so on, and when we think about racism, usually people just think black and white. But here we are. You have you said white gay community. There was also within within the gay community some level of racism, which oh, may have okay. And I mean, I think I think I've always thought of of the white gay community in Philadelphia as being like a small southern town. It was yes. like, it's changed a lot in the last 10 or 15 years. But back in the day, um, the only people of color you ever saw in gay community organizations or gay community events or the gay bars or other kinds of institutions in the gay community, the only people of color you saw uh, were those who had white lovers. Yes. You know, and they and they were not necessarily, and not all of them obviously, but they were not necessarily seeing themselves as activists for the black community. Mm -hmm. um, 
because of the sexual preferences that they have. Um, right, they also right. tended to be people of some means. You know, yes. you had people, the only, you know, what struck me in the, in the 80s um, as a gay activist was the only black people that the typical gay white man interacted with besides those who happen to be well-off and have well-off black gay lovers um, was young black gay people who were tussling, yeah. who were prostituting themselves and right. were, and were, and were, were uh, being patronized by white gay men. You know, yes. they, in fact, we even had a situation that occurred in the 80s where we started a group called the Ehrman Center, which was a mental health center, created a group home for gay yes. kids. And okay. most of the gay kids that came into the group home were the ones who were homeless, and they were mostly African-American. And mm -hmm. the moment that that program of the Ehrman Center was created, there was major okay. pressure from the white gay community to close the Ehrman Center. Because it was like, why are we spending our money on these young black kids? You know, there was just no recognition of how fundamentally racist the whole structure right. of the gay movement was in those days. I mean, that's yes. changed a lot in the last 10 or 15 years. But um, yes. and now the language at least has changed. I don't know that the racism has changed. We've gotten any right. better, but the language has changed certainly. And the, and the political correctness is a lot stronger today than it ever was back then. But that was a major struggle for those of us who, who and, and you know, I was remember I was working at a predominantly black union. So it mattered to me in a way it didn't necessarily matter to other white people. Yeah. I belonged to a basically black community of healthcare workers. And yeah. um, that gave me a perspective, I think, that was different than the typical white person. And they're yes. the ones who taught me that they weren't going to fix this problem for me. I had to go into the white gay community as a white gay man and try to yeah. solve this problem. Okay. And you know, and you said that resist the resistance of the AIDS bureaucracy. You said that the struggle to combat AIDS in the black community, and you talked about, and you said, you mentioned this, the resistance of the AIDS bureaucracy to right. the empowerment of people of color. Now, so my, the question is, what do you mean by the resistance of the AIDS? What was the kind of the bureaucracy here? Well, the bureaucracy initially was really, um, the bureaucracy was original, originally organizations created in the white gay community to combat AIDS because there was no okay. government, there was no government response. So I'm not talking about government agencies initially, we're talking about the fact that the white gay community was getting decimated by AIDS and created its own organizations to right. help other white gay people who had AIDS. And they early, and, and there was no government money. I mean, today there's tens of millions of dollars being spent in Philadelphia to combat AIDS because government's involved. But before government was involved, all the money for services to combat AIDS had to come from gay people themselves. And that meant gay people who had the money to give, and that tended to be white gay people. And they created white gay organizations and created boards of directors of white gay organizations. And those white gay organizations had a predominantly white gay staff who understood the culture of the white gay community. The black gay uh -huh. community wasn't part of that community. 
the, the white gay community in Philadelphia was based in the center, central city area, center city, Philadelphia. And the black gay community was spread out throughout the black, black neighborhoods throughout the rest uh, of the right. city. And they kept yeah. to themselves in the same way that gay white men kept to themselves. Oh, so when yes. those of us, such as myself and a number of black activists, started organizing the black gay community around yes. AIDS, that was very threatening to yeah. what I call in that post, I called them the AIDS bureaucracy, because they yeah. were the only game in town. They were the only people doing anything about AIDS. You know, eventually, yeah. when government started to spend money on AIDS, um, we were able to di direct some money to the minority organizations that were dealing with AIDS. But for most yes. of the beginning, the first 10 years of the AIDS epidemic, AIDS epidemic there was no African-American presence. There was no Latino presence. There was no money being spent in those communities. And as a result, as time went on, the white gay proportion of people who had AIDS started to reduce and the black and Latino proportion of people who had AIDS started to increase. And the black and Latino community that was getting AIDS was not just gay people. It was a lot of people who were drug addicts. It was a lot of people who were closeted married men in the gay, in the black community, especially who were having sex on the side, right? gay sex on the side, but who were in denial about it and weren't telling their wives about it. And so suddenly we had all these women getting infected with AIDS because their husbands have been cheating on them with other men yes. and, and spreading the disease to them. It was a much more complex epidemic in the black and Latino community than it was. Plus the cultural resistance yes. for homosexuality yeah. in the black and Latino community was so much more severe. It was bad in the white community, but it was so much more severe yes. in the black and Latino community. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, uh, uh, during the 1980s, a guy named Wilson Good was mayor of Philadelphia. He was the first right. black mayor of Philadelphia. And my union was very close him we had helped elect him mayor of philadelphia yes. so that gave and i had a great relationship with him uh -huh. and, a, and a personal a personal relationship with him and so early on i started harassing him and i ran yeah. a, what was called gay and lesbian friends of wilson good to help him yeah. get elected two times and the the um so i harassed him unmercifully about the fact that city government wasn't doing anything about aids and his response to me was the city was going bankrupt, which it was at the time, and that they didn't have the money to spend anything on AIDS. They needed to get the money from the federal government. And right. Ray, Ronald Reagan was president, and he was not spending a lot of money on AIDS. Um, right. Reagan was in denial about AIDS, and he was, he was um, his big priority was the drug war and the, and the mass incarceration of African-American people. So he wasn't worried about AIDS um, decimating communities within the black community. Um, by 1987, things had gotten so bad in Philadelphia that uh, he came to me and asked me if I would come into city government, leave the union and come work for him in city government and create an AIDS office. And he gave yeah. me $9 million, what today would be $21 million, but at right. that time, it was $9 million. He gave me $9 million to create an AIDS program overnight. 
And for in eight months, we created a whole new bureaucracy, uh, multiracial bureaucracy with real yes. money from the government that wasn't controlled by the white gay community. And we, and we stood up a number of new organizations. Um, Bibashi, which was a black AIDS organization, Congresso de Latinos Unidos, Galay, other organizations, Unity Philadelphia. These were all organizations in communities of color who cared about AIDS. And we were able to invest money in those or organizations to stand them up quickly. And they still, most of those programs still exist today. Whereas yes. most of the white gay AIDS communities disappeared a long time ago. Wow, this is quite, this is quite, and I'm in Philadelphia. I live in Philadelphia. I've been here okay. for 13 years. And um, I understand the stigma that's associated with HIV AIDS in not just in Philadelphia, but in almost all African-American or black and brown cultures in yeah. Jamaica. I'm from Jamaica. It is severe. Not only are they dealing with the stigma associated with being a homosexual, but also the stigma associated with HIV AIDS. And pop. And I think that's still a stigma and that's still Absolutely. an issue in the Caribbean. But I wanted to ask you, and you know, so you are instrumental in the kind of the organization and the efforts that's being done in Philadelphia. It started from your vision and your work and your push in the 1987 because prior to that government was not as involved and so you right. helped to spearhead this yes i helped i mean i don't want to i don't want to sound like i did it all there were plenty of other people involved as yes. you see when they do this video of eyes on the prize there were a number of people that were interviewed but but um i think when it came to the racial issues i was one of the few white people certainly right who was involved in that effort and the and to be perfectly honest, I took a care, I took advantage of my white privilege to yes, be able yes, to make yes. things happen that other uh -huh. people couldn't make happen because they weren't white. Right, right. And, yes, and I think it was a good partnership that we should see more of in combating racism yes. in, in, in the society. That is so true. And, you know, you hit the nail on the head and, you know, talking about how can people use their privileges to bring about change. And, you know, recently I commented on um, Michael Moore, who said he's going to give up his citizenship. He's threatened to give, maybe he said it jokingly, he's going to give up his, his citizenship because of over the overturning of Roe. And I responded to Mr. Moore, actually. I responded to him and I said, well, you, 